You know, there's no greater hope and comfort than knowing that we're not alone, that we have God with us every step of the way through life. Today we are coming to the end of a four-week series of sermons uh, that we've been looking from the first chapter of Paul's epistle to the Ephesians, so let me encourage you to open your Bibles to that chapter. We actually are only looking at one sentence in the Greek, but it's a really, really long sentence. You don't pick it up in the English because the translators have put the right punctuation, all that in it, but it's one long sentence. It starts in verse 3, goes all the way down to verse 14, and Paul's basic proposition in this opening part of Ephesians is that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And when we begin to look at that, he, be, he begins to think about, I almost picture him, you know, he's under the inspiration of the Spirit, which means that the Spirit is superintending everything that he writes so that what he writes is exactly what God has in mind. So I can imagine Paul and the Spirit is revealing all of these incredible truths, these incredible blessings, and he can't stop. He doesn't even put his pen down. He just writes on and on and on of these wonderful blessings, and that's what we've been looking at for the last few weeks. But I've also told you each week, while we deeply appreciate the blessings, and we should understand the blessings, and we should be thankful for the blessings, but don't ever forget the giver of the blessings. That's really what our focus is. That was Paul's focus. In fact, when he begins the sentence, he begins with the, with the fact that God, the, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, has blessed us. He is the giver of all of these blessings. And so for these last few weeks, we've been looking, first of all, we talked about the fact that we have been chosen by God, and we talked about His love. See, the focus that week was on the love of God. In love, He predestined us long before He ever created the world. He knew you. He loved you. You were the object of His affection before He ever created the world, and He was determined that you were going to be His. That's His love. And then the second week, we looked at redemption, the fact that we've been redeemed by the blood of Christ, and we raised the question, well, what do we need to be redeemed from? And the answer to that was our grievous sin, but we, don't, we can never appreciate our sin until we see it in light of the holiness of God. And so we talked about the holiness of God and how the holiness of God brings us to appreciate the blood of Christ. It took the very blood of Jesus Christ to redeem us from our sins. So we saw that the second week. Then the third week, we talked about the fact that God is conforming us to His great plan. We talked about the sovereignty. So we've looked at the love of God, the holiness of God, the sovereignty of God, in which this verse actually tells us that He works out everything. Look at it, everything in conformity with the purpose of His will. God has this great purpose in mind, and everything that happens in your life is going to be worked out according to that purpose. And so today, we're going to come to the last part. Now, I, I want to save time this morning, so I'm not going to read the whole sentence. But, you know, you would start at verse 3, read all the way down to verse 14. But I'm going to pick up with the two verses we're going to concentrate on this morning, which are verses thir 13 and 14. So this is God's Word. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance 
until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. Now, notice the way Paul begins this. He begins with this statement, and you also were included in Christ. You see that phrase, you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And as I've said over and over again, I cannot say it enough, I have to preach it to myself over and over again, the gospel is not about what we do for God, it's about what God has done for us. And there's a huge difference between those things. Because you see, what we do for God is really about religion. It's our feeble efforts to try to earn God's favor and His pleasure. That's not at all. It will not work. You can never do that. You can never be good enough. You can never try hard enough. There's always going to be something lacking. It's a dead end. It won't work. The gospel is about God's grace. It's what God does for us that we don't deserve. It's not about what we do for God. It's about what God has done for us. So what happens when we believe? Here it is. We are included in Christ. You see that little word, in We're included in Christ. Now, what does this mean? It means that we are brought into this vital, intimate, and spiritual union with Christ. This is hard for us to get. In fact, theologians call it the mystical union because it's so hard for us to grasp it. We're brought in such a way into Him that He is in us and we are in Him. And basically what it means is this, that Christ, by His Spirit, lives in me. When we become believers, do you know what? The Holy Spirit comes to us. In fact, look, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Look at the next phrase. Who is in you? Now, here's the problem with most of us. At least I talk about me. Here's my problem. I forget that. I don't always practice His presence. There are times in my life that You know, I forget it. There are times in my life that I get so overwhelmed, I forget that I have the Spirit living in me. But the fact of the matter is, when you became a Christian, whether you believe it or not, whether you feel it or not, the Spirit of God came into your life. The Spirit is present within you. And what does that mean to us? It means that we are never alone, never alone. You know, the psalmist put it this way. He said, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Do you see it? Even though you may not feel this, even though you may not experiences at the moment. All the time, all the time, the Spirit of God is holding you up. The Spirit of God is leading you. The Spirit of God is with you. You have the Spirit and you're never alone. The Spirit is with us no matter what we do, no matter what we face. Richard Lovelace wrote these words. He said, we should be constantly aware that we are not alone Because the one who has been sent to be our counselor, now you realize that the counselor is the Holy Spirit, right? The one who is our counselor is active in every phase of our daily lives. Now that's what I'm saying to you. We're not alone. We have the counselor. We have the Spirit who's in us. And to confirm this, we are marked with a seal. 
We're marked in him with a seal. And what is the seal? The seal is the Holy Spirit. That's a seal. Now, you have to go back to ancient times. Ancient times in particular, seals were very, very important. And look, there still are. Yesterday evening, I did a, a beautiful wedding here in the sanctuary. And when the wedding was over, I presented to the bride and groom a sealed copy of their marriage license. Now, you see, so we still use seals, right? Now, what were seals used for, particularly in ancient times? Three things that they were normally used for. First of all, a seal was to authenticate that this was the right document. In other words, it, was, it authenticated it. When you sent something, you had a seal on it. It proved the character of the document. Second thing seals were used for was to mark ownership. Often you would have property. You had your own seal, and that seal would go on the property. And the third thing they were used for is that they were to protect the character of the document. They were to be sure to protect against any tampering or harm that would be done. So if Claire sends me a document, and in that document back in ancient times, she would have had a seal, and it would have probably been rolled up, and it would have had a, a seal on it. It would have had a, a piece of, of, of um, wax and with her seal on it. Now, if that seal had been broken, you know what? I knew somebody had messed with it. So that's what seals were used for. Now, do you see how Paul is applying that to the Holy Spirit? He says the Holy Spirit is the seal first to authenticate that our character before God is now holy and blameless because of Jesus Christ. He authenticates that our character is holy and blameless because of the work of Jesus Christ. And, and certainly that raises the question, well, how on earth can I ever become holy and blameless? Now, let me take a little side here. How do we become holy and blameless? Well, let me tell you what the religious person said. The religious person says, you have to really work at it. You know, we've got we to gotta work hard at it. We have to try to be moral enough. We have to try to be good enough. We have to try to do this. We have to try to do that. And Lord forbid, because if we mess up, God's hand is going to be there to swat us. That's how religion works. And I'm telling you, that is the vast majority of what people believe in this world. They believe it's like that. You have to earn God's favor. It's a form of self-righteousness. And that's the, the strongest words Jesus ever gave were to religious, self-righteous people. He said, you're above your father the devil. You don't even get this. So how do we become holy and blameless? Listen, it's through God's grace that he redeemed us with the blood of his son. And you see, that's what the cross is all about. Listen, you have to get this. The greatest transaction in the history of the world happened on that cross 2,000 years ago. Because your record, and I will tell you this, when you put it in light of the holiness of God, it's not a good record. You know it. I know it. Your record was given to Jesus on that cross, and his record was given to you, and you know what his record is? Perfection. As a result of our justification, that's a big word in the Bible, but it's a very, very important word, which says that God, out of His grace, 
grants us forgiveness on the basis of what Christ accomplished for us and not only removed our sins from us, we talked about this two weeks ago, not only removed our sins from us, but the perfect righteousness of His Son is given to us so that when God looks at you and when God looks at me, what does He see? Jesus, His perfect record. He looks at us in the same way that He sees His Son. And I will tell you, listen, the gospel is the most freeing thing in the world. Because you don't have to prove yourself to anybody. You are loved and accepted by Him. You have been made holy and blameless by Him. It's not about your efforts. It's not about your religion. It's about the grace of God that has been, Paul used the language, lavished on us. That excessive language. That's what God has done for us. And the Holy Spirit is the seal that your character, your character is holy and blameless because of what God has done for us. That's the first thing. Second thing the seal does is to mark us. You are not your own. You're bought with a price, huge price that God paid for you. You do realize that for God to grant mercy to us, it cost Him tremendously. It cost him his son. It cost him his son. And we talked about redemption through his blood, that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And when you look at Jesus, that bloody sacrifice on the cross, he did that for you. He took all of your failures, all of your regrets, all of those things in your life that are displeasing to God, and He took them upon Himself, and He paid the price so that we would be redeemed. You're not your own. He purchased you with a price. You're His. And I don't know about you, but I am so thankful. I'm so thankful that I'm a child of God and that God loves me and accepts me and that I am precious to God because I'm His child. He paid the ultimate price for me. But also remember that the seal was to protect us from whatever we may face. It was a seal to protect us, to keep anybody from, from damaging, from harming and so it is that the seal of the Spirit, we're included in Christ, and we've been marked with a seal of the Holy Spirit, and we're eternally secure, which is why Jesus said, I give them eternal life, they shall never perish. Listen to it. I give them, do you see it? Eternal life. It's not, well, they earned it. No, 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 no. He said, I give it to them. He paid the price. He can give it to you. I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. And then look at the last part. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Do you see it now? The seal of the Spirit authenticates your character. The seal of the Spirit marks your ownership, that you belong to Him. The seal of the Spirit protects us as long as we live on the face of this earth. We're included in Christ, and we have received the mark 
of the seal of the Spirit. And then Paul goes on to say one more thing. He says, we are included in Christ. We've received the down payment of the Spirit. But now, he says, and it's the Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. A deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. And I'll tell you some inheritance it is. We talked a little bit about this last week. We talked about God's grand narrative. We talked about the big story, how all through history, God is moving all of history to this point of culmination when Jesus Christ comes back in glory and there's new heavens and a new earth and everything is made right again. And there's no more suffering. There's no more pain. There's no more mourning. There's no more crying. There's no more tears. There's no more death. There are no more goodbyes. I don't know about you, I long for that day. I long for that day for Jesus to come back. That's the promise. That's the inheritance. And when he comes back, we will be glorified with him. We are destined for glory. That's the inheritance. We become joint heirs with Jesus Christ. All that's in the new heavens and the new earth is ours. And we will be forever in the presence of the Lord. That's the future. That's the inheritance. Quite an inheritance that it is. And it's Peter who says, into this inheritance that will never perish, spoil of fate. Let me tell you, this inheritance is, is enormous. It's more than anything we could imagine. I haven't done too well with inheritances here on this earth. About two months ago, I got a phone call from a lady who said, Dr. Sanford, been trying to find you for a while and finally got tracked you down and found out where you were. And so I just, I, I really got some good news for you. Said my aunt so-and-so who was in my church in Rock Hill had died not too long ago and you're in her will. You, you have an inheritance from her. And so I'm sitting there thinking, interesting, I finally remembered the lady. So I'm waiting and she's telling me about this inheritance. And she said, and I just want to tell you that you, you are going to receive 11. Now, immediately my mind went, 1,000. Mary Ann's mind, when I was telling this story, went to million. She's a lot more optimistic than I am. So I'm listening, you know, 11 framed Santa Claus pictures. I'm not kidding you. It turned out there are 13 of them. And my daughter, who's here this morning, put them in the back of her car to bring them over here. And they're in my garage right now. And by the way, some of my children, grandchildren, I didn't know they were coming to here. I have a wonderful inheritance for you that you're going to get one day, all right? Now, I'm going to tell you the inheritance we've got, it's a whole lot better than that. Here's the bottom line of it. God is faithful in all that he does. You know that wonderful passage out of Lamentations. Because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. That is the faithfulness of our Heavenly Father. 
We have been blessed. Do you understand where we've been? Here's what we've been saying. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And God is faithful to fulfill those blessings in your life. He chose us before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. His faithfulness assures that we had been redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ. His faithfulness assures that the sufficiency of Christ's death is yours and there's nothing to add to that. That's his faithfulness. In life, though complicated, in life, though filled with trials and difficulties, his faithfulness is that he is going to be working out everything in conformity with his will. And therefore, having been believed that we were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, God is faithful to do what he promises that he will do. And I will tell you this, when we stop and think about his faithfulness, look at what, is, what the scripture says about his faithfulness. Think of these verses. For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. It's an infinite faithfulness. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. And even when we are faithless, he will remain faithful. Aren't you thankful that his faithfulness to us doesn't depend upon our faithfulness to him? Aren't you thankful for that? And because God is faithful, let me tell you what you can absolutely count on. You're never alone. You're marked in Christ with the seal of His Spirit. When you feel lonely and sad, betrayed, rejected, remember you're not alone. The Spirit of God is there to comfort you. When you're afraid, when you're filled with fear, when you're fearful, remember God's words to you. Fear not, for I am with you. When you face overwhelming difficulties, trials, troubles, tribulations, Hear the Spirit of the Lord say, I'm with you, and my hand will guide you and uphold you. When you feel helpless, you don't know how you can take another step. Overwhelmed, you don't know how you can go any further. Remember this, it's no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. And when the strongest of temptations come, remember that the Spirit who dwells within you will give you strength to resist. And even when we face the very shores of death itself, remember that Jesus is with us. And He will take us to the place that He has prepared for us. Do you see it this morning? 
the faithfulness of God. We are never alone. God is with us. Let's pray. This morning, Lord, as we come before you, I want to pray this morning for those who are lonely and sad, those who feel betrayed and rejected. There's some here this morning who are afraid. There's some who are filled with fear, fear of the unknown, fear of the future, fear of running out of money, fear of not finding the right spouse, fear of failed marriages. This morning, Lord, in the quietness of this moment, may we hear you say to those of us who are filled with fear, fear not for I'm with you. When we face overwhelming difficulties, those trials and troubles and tribulations, oh, Spirit of God, you have told us that we're not alone, that your hand will guide us and uphold us. Lord, this morning, in the quietness of this moment, may we hear you say to us, we are not alone. God is with us.